0: You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Porama. Hi, I'm Porama and welcome to A Spoiled Yak. We are going to be covering the Red Sleeve which aired in December in 2021. And it took us a while to get to this drama because we wanted a very special guest who we have on board today, who is Mimi from The Talking Cupboard. (laughs) Say hi, Mimi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been hoping to get Mimi on the podcast for a while and we finally have her for a very special drama, The Red Sleeve Cove, which I don't think it has gotten enough coverage I mean I know it's gotten a lot of love the actors have gotten a lot of love but I think they deserved more I think they just like deserved everything it was so great the direction the screenplay every actor cast like I could barely think of a single thing a single note that went wrong so let's start, first of all, with what were you expecting from The Red Sleeve Cuff? We, we all knew that it was an adaptation of uh, a beloved novel by Kang Bikang uh, called The Red Sleeve Cuff it had won awards, it, it was a very well-known novel. It was also based very faithfully on true historical characters. We knew all of that stuff. But Korean dramas don't exactly, especially recent historical Korean dramas don't have a great track record of like staying really faithful to historical events. So when you first heard about the Red Sleeve Cuff, what were you expecting?
1: i think i first heard about uh about the red sleeve casting news back in i think back in 2020 when it was first announced that other actors uh, and actress uh, were uh, on board but suddenly they left the production so the production was searching for brand new cast. I can't really remember if it was Lee se or Lee Jun Ho was the one who was first uh, attached to the drama. But I think it was in June 2021 when they uh, finally confirmed the the news of them joining the production. So I was excited because I've seen both of them, especially uh, Lee Se-yong in, in a sagu before. And I actually... Fell in love with her through her portrayal in uh, The Crown Clown, <laughs> the one with <laughs> Eugene right, <laughs> okay, and jun Junho. Okay, I actually um watched him in The Good Manager. Check Kim. Chief Kim, oh God, he was so good. In Chief yes, Kim, yeah. he was so. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how to say
0: it, but yeah, it was really good performance. Yeah. Honestly, that's the first time he came to my radar as well. <laughs> yeah. I would. I I didn't know anything about this actor before that, uh. and Chief Kim just he, he had such great range. He yes. started off being completely insufferable and then he became like he became this frenemy with our main lead yes. and he, would, he just he just transformed the entire thing i, I loved okay. him in it
1: did you end up watching just between lovers um okay i'm actually saving it for uh for a good really good mood, uh for me to actually go into that drama because uh it's a mellow and actually i don't really fare well with mellow actually <laughs> so yeah. i've been saving it for for a proper time for me to properly get into it. So I've actually watched all (laughs) Junho's movies actually, but not all of his uh, dramas. <laughs> yeah, I
0: haven't watched any of his movies, um but I loved him in Just Between Lovers, which oh. you're right, it is it is a bit of uh, a mellow. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's too depressing though. They have a lot of light moments. They have like really lovely moments between him and the and the main female. Yes. <laughs> I love and I can't recall her name. Give me give me a second. Let me just look her up for a second. Uh, um Wan One Jina, one one Gina, Correct. She and Ho managed to create this, this really sweet and warm relationship that just like elevated, like it kind of like rose through all of the sad stuff to become like, you know, that shining thing that you was the drama for. So it, it was really nice. Yeah, I did not, I did not enjoy Walk of Love, so I abandoned it <laughs> in like one episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally the red sleeve i feel like i've been waiting several years now for junho to come out. come out with like a good drama mm-hmm. and he finally has and what a great drama yes absolutely <laughs> have you watched Isae young in
1: anything before i think i watched her in a in an older uh, historical drama which, which was uh a very lengthy one on KBS. Uh the one uh called the the Jewel Kings. in the Palace? At that time I couldn't recognize her because uh at that time I was uh, quite young as well. <laughs> so yeah. I uh, I only uh knew uh Leong A from from there. <laughs> and what's the historical drama's name? Ah The Great King's Dream, okay, because uh oh. that one was uh not not that uh, known uh, internationally, I think. Because uh, Lee se was portraying um, a very short uh, role of um, a 1st a, um, uh, a, sh- a shrine keeper? Ah, sorry? A shrine keeper? yeah, yeah. That one, that one. <laughs> okay, I, I've forgotten all the details about it. But I really love her there.
0: I have not watched it, but <laughs> I looked up on my drama list and it says a shrine keeper. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you've last last watched her in uh this 2012 historical drama um and The Great King's uh, Dream and then you've watched her in Crown Clown oh, yes. which is a 2019 <laughs> drama. <laughs>
1: okay. I guess <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah. I mostly watch uh, historical dramas and modern dramas, is, yeah. She has the kind of face that just really suits
0: historical dramas. I realized that when I saw her as the queen in The Crown Clown. Yeah. Um before that, of course, I I first saw her as a as a you know this this zombie. Oh, yes. K-pop wanna be in a Korean odyssey. Yes, yes, yes.
1: yes. (laughs) For Yugi, right? I
0: loved her so much that I, like the moment I saw her, I I was like hooked. I wanted to watch everything she did after that and I pretty much did. I watched The Crown Clown. I watched Dr. John for her because otherwise it was unbearable. (laughs) I uh,
1: watched Memorist. I watched Kairos because Kairos was great. Yes. I think I remember another uh, drama I watched uh, Lee Se-young in. The Vampire Detective. The one with Lee Ju and uh, Oh Jong-se? The one that one was Vampire Detective. yeah, yeah. she was in Vampire oh, Detective. Yes, yes, yes. I, I did
0: not. I, at that
1: point, I did not know of her. Okay, <laughs> I, <did not laughs> okay. I watched her in that.
0: Okay, cool. So that that is basically how we, we start off with these actors. Like both Jun Ho and Isi Young had built up credibility as like good actors with like diverse roles, but I don't think anybody knew what to expect of these two actors in these roles. Yes. And I remember that when I first saw the trailers, I was both like overjoyed because this was finally shedding some light on like the court ladies of the palace. But also I was like, do I want to watch another drama about how the court lady falls (laughs) in love with the king? I mean, this feels like, I mean, why? Why? This is so (laughs) much like one of those, you know, boss secretary dramas. (laughs) but the uh, historical version of that right yeah the historical version of that I- except that the boss can have you beheaded if okay. you're not ready to sleep with him type <laughs> stuff which is just really really serious <laughs> so yeah i mean i wasn't entirely sure what they were going to do i, I was especially skeptical of the part in the synopsis of the drama mm-hmm. um, where they said that She initially resists marrying him or rather becoming his concubine. But Mm -hmm. eventually she realizes that it's good for him. So he can become a better king. She kind of gives in. And I really hated that. (laughs) And what I hadn't realized at that point was that this was being drawn from actual historical events. Yes. And I I realized that subsequently, like right before I started watching the drama, um, I was reading a, a little bit of background on these characters. So that's when I realized, oh my God, the, the, the storyline that they have set up is extremely faithful to history. Yes. So I start watching the drama. <laughs> and I think it was by the end of the first episode, and I don't know how Korean dramas do it, but whenever these historical dramas start with like children, mm-hmm they always have like the deepest saddest but also <laughs> the warmest beginnings and you're like hooked and you basically want the children to keep playing the characters forever
1: <laughs> yeah okay. like like the um the moon that embraces the sun <laughs> because that one the, the yeah oh. but also like the king's affection i i swear ah, the yes. one first <laughs>
0: one and a half episodes with the kids they were probably the best yes <laughs> because they had the kids now we come to a bit of introduction of our characters our mm. main characters here to remind our listeners were um Isan who was played by Ho, who was the king uh Jongjo and you have his future concubine but like first apprentice then court lady sang dok im played by uh, ee young and the, i know this, the the um, timeline focuses a lot on Ho's, i'm sorry the the king yeah, yeah. king jongjo's uh main milestones of his life um like his relationship with his grandfather which by the way his grandfather was probably like I would say, he would—he was my favorite character in yes, the story. If yes. if the main characters weren't so compelling, he was <laughs> just so amazing. The King Yongjo, uh, Sana's grandfather. So Sana's relationship with his grandfather was like one of the milestones. And then you had him growing up, and then him hitting like different milestones of his life until he becomes the king. And then the milestones that he hits after that—you know, when the time jumps happen—it yes. often focuses on. Um, Isan's, uh, Sana's life. Yes. However, the story, like even though the milestones are the kings, the story is often Dukne's. It It's about her, her how her life is changing as the kings, you know, yes, yes. reaching different milestones. Yes. And I can't I can't tell you how impressed I was that that they managed to show the story in this way.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh after that I was uh actually uh like scared uh if uh, they were going to bury uh like Dog Ims character because of uh Yisan, right? Because uh most of historical dramas tend to focus much uh, more emphasized on the king instead of the people around him, uh, including the female lead. So I was very scared because uh, I've come to uh, love uh Doc Im so much. So uh I did not want to see her being uh buried like that. <laughs> I think uh around 13th or 14th episode I was so nervous uh if uh they weren't going to explain why on earth uh, she was uh, going to accept uh Sun's uh like proposal finally but I think I'm very satisfied how they uh, actually show uh, things from her point of view, and yeah, I really love when the scene uh, in episode sixteen, right, when she bid goodbye to her old self when she was called a lady. Right <sighs> now, I'm feeling so sad <laughs> when I think of that uh, uh, of that scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I really love uh, that. They did not stray away from the focus of the story that, that was both uh, Isan and uh, Dog In uh, themselves. Okay, <laughs> I think that's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I, I completely agree. I was, I was stunned at how... You know, the other thing that they did really well was they didn't romanticize Isan to the point of, like, making him the good guy throughout. Yeah. If you think about it, like, Sana and Dokim had a pretty toxic relationship for, like, most of the drama where they kind of ended up hurting each other. Like, the moment they realized that they love each other, but, or rather... He confessed his love to her and she kind of didn't very pointedly. And that was so well done. We'll come back to that. (laughs) Um, But you know, the moment that tug of war started happening, because you could tell that Isan thought that it was all about him. The moment he admitted his feelings, things would proceed naturally to her becoming his concubine and things would be fine. But things didn't go that way. Yes, there is, even though he's a very good person... He does have the entitlement of, you know, a royal. Yes. He's not... He's trying to be respectful of her boundaries because she's enforcing her boundaries. Yes, yes. That respect didn't come out of nowhere. It comes because, like, she's consistently, over time, enforcing her boundaries. But also, it's hard for him. And over time, he grows to resent her. Because how dare you say no to me? Yes, he was a king after all. (laughs) Yeah, he was a king after all. So... And, like, nobody could understand Dokim's perspective aside from, you know, the the chief uh, court lady who was kind of like a foster mother to her. Oh, yeah. She was the only one who could truly understand Dokim's, you know, position and her her desire to stay separate from the king and not become, like, his complete possession. Yeah. And... The thing that I was trying to get to was that they had a pretty toxic relationship for a few years yes. uh, after she had first refused him to the point where after she left the palace she was pretty happy for that one year when she was not you know anywhere near him mm, yeah. she was going about getting her like selling her transcriptions she was staying at you know the the princess's um, house within her household she had an independent living she was content. I don't know if she was happy or not. The drama didn't go into that, mm-hmm. but she was at least content. Yes. And then she was pulled back to the machinations of the king's mother. She was pulled back <laughs> into the palace. And I was like, oh my God, let <laughs> this girl live. It's just so... Un- but you know what? That That's exactly the thing. The show lets you feel that. The show lets the audience hope that she can get away from the hero yeah when does that ever happen (laughs) like where the show is telling you that it's healthier for her to have an independent life look she's happy when she gets a little time away from him or at least you know not messed up in the head and constantly (laughs) crying like the show is making the audience root for them to be apart (laughs) so that when she finally gives in And because his concubine, it's not a great happy ever after where they have kissed and they're going into the sunset. It's a tragedy. Yes. Their their consummation is a tragedy. Like the the guard standing outside, the court lady standing outside, it's almost like they are in mourning as if something really sad has happened.
1: Yeah. (laughs) For me, because we, we know, we know about their history, right? So it was like, Okay, it's finally happening. Oh no. Oh god. We are going for the tragedy, the big tragedy. I, I was like, okay, I'm happy for them, but because we know what will happen after <laughs> after that. So, it was I was happy, but at the same time I was so nervous. <laughs> Uh, it was like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> this is really happy. Mimi. I didn't know the ending because I hadn't looked it up before. Oh, now, yeah. You know, until about episode 16, I hadn't looked up the ending. So wow. I didn't know how it was actually going to end. But like when she said she's going to be his concubine and like, you know, they had their that whole consummation scene happen, mm-hmm. I I I was like, dude, this is she seems she, like, you know, like, it seemed as if part of her had shut down. Mm-hmm. Instead, of, instead of it being a decision sh- that she was happy with, it's like, it it's a decision that she gave into after being coerced for years mm-hmm. at this point. So I was, like, really unhappy. And I was afraid that she was going to become depressed, which yes. she did. Yes. The, the show actually showed her becoming depressed. It was, it was so wild that this drama showed that. Yes. I, I can't
1: explain to you. <laughs> yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Because, yeah, uh, I went in with uh, the expectation that they are going for a very sad ending. But uh, I think, uh, have you uh, watched their radio star, uh, their variety shows uh, featuring the <laughs> Okay, because... I like how Li um, uh, said that the ending wasn't that, was not completely sad, but happy. Uh, there's a sad and happy ending. And I really love that uh, about the drama.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you already know the historical, uh, real story, then you would already be expecting an unhappy ending. So it's not something that you have to like brace for, when you're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> but you already know what's going to happen. But you're you're a little worried about how do they show it? Yeah, like, is it going to make you like yes. cry like okay. the entire time? Is yes. it going to like ruin the entire story because the ending was so sad? Yeah, I know. I I, <laughs> I get that. I get that. You know, something that had occurred to me though, I think it had occurred to a lot of people watching, was just like how. Moonlight Drawn by Cloud mm-hmm. changed the ending. yeah. Uh, yeah like, yes. that, that was a real historical prince. Yes. That, that crown prince was real. And he died very young. Oh, yes. But that is not how <laughs> they chose to show the ending. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> they, so I... Yeah.
0: I I remember when uh, Moonlight, Drama Cloud was also airing, like halfway through people were like, what are they doing? They have made it like a romantic comedy. Nah. Are they really going to end with the prince dying? Nobody knew what was going to happen. And then I think it was around episode 18 that somebody in the cast of the crew was like, don't worry, <laughs> it's not going to be a tragic ending. <laughs> and then, you know, like the ending happened. So... So I think there was some expectation with the red, especially because by the halfway mark, by the halfway mark, the red sleeve cuff was getting quite high uh, ratings yes. domestically, you know, uh, in Seoul and and, and and nationally. It wouldn't have been surprising if they had chosen to like do an alternate version of history or something like that. But instead, they they chose to stick with the the real version of the history, yes. but also. You know what? What made the ending not um, as sad for me? It was that for me, Dokim's death. And and guys, if you haven't watched the uh, drama, and this is a major spoiler for you, why are you <laughs> listening to a spoiler? <laughs> she dies. <laughs> it's really sad. <laughs> okay, so Dokim's death was a tragedy. Of course, she was so young. She just had yes. lost her children. She was depressed. It was overall a tragedy but you know like usually you have like that lovers separation where you know the, the hero and the heroine are separated because one of them dies mm-hmm. and the other one lives a lonely uh, sad life for yeah. the rest. that is not the story they were telling in the rest leaf cup um dokim's existence was very important to sana especially when he was growing as a king Yes. but after a certain point he didn't really need her constantly by his side anymore mm-hmm. like he was he was in love with her he loved her he, he like she was his family but he was content with his work as a king yes and he lived out the rest of his life doing everything he wanted to do you know like putting into effect all of the vision of his country that yes. he wanted to do he didn't live an unfulfilled life yes that is not the story they are telling and in terms of dokim's you know her own journey the sad thing is like it was not so much that she was being separated from her husband and her lover that was the tragedy it was that it was her and her friends yes their separation that was the real tragedy you know what i mean and that's the other thing that i wanted to talk about okay. how they showed you know her journey as a an, a, a tiny baby apprentice court lady <laughs> <laughs> with like three other friends who all obviously come from very different backgrounds. She has one friend who comes from like a slightly better off background. Her father is a merchant. But then she also has another friend whose, you know, parents like run a tavern of sorts. So they all come from different walks of life. And they have essentially, for whatever reason, were kind of not, quote unquote, sold to the palace because their parents decided that at some point in their life, they could not take care of their child and the palace can do a better job but in doing so they also wrote off all of the all of their life as in like they can never marry yes. they can never have conjugal relationship with any man but the you know someone of the royal family the king most often no, only
1: only the those are on the um uh the line uh, um, the line of inheritance of, of the throne Ah uh, yes yes uh, that one because they the court ladies uh, cannot simply go for a relationship with uh, other royals because they could end up dying because of that, actually. <laughs> so, only if uh, the king or the crown prince or the son of the crown prince uh, find a liking uh, in them. So, yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> and
0: there were, if I remember at some point, someone said that there were over 500. Court ladies, more or less, in in the palace.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think the the hate court lady Joe, right the the one uh the the one with the secret alliance criminal broke. mastermind. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think uh, she mentioned that uh there were uh six hundred court ladies under her. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean that 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 many women sort of beholden to the palace and and kind of restricted to the palace. They couldn't really leave or have any existence they couldn't even have holidays outside the palace unless you know the, their direct supervisor gave them permission to yeah. go out to do something it was a very restrictive living but i suppose from their perspective the alternative was often starvation and death yes, outside yes. so you know yeah at, least, out
1: yeah. at least they can uh, <laughs> they can help their family uh, with their uh, their pay uh, because court ladies uh, got very stable uh, pay uh, compared to other jobs uh, outside them. <laughs> yeah. So in, in that way, they
0: could be like productive members of their family. Yes. And, you know, they could they were also of service to the king. So yes. in, a, in a way, for the first half of the drama, they did a good job of like drumming up the importance of court ladies yes. to the system of the palace. Yes. Like the palace would stop running if the court lady suddenly up and disappeared. Yes. You know, with the fairy analogy that uh, Court Lady Joe was giving. <laughs> yes. I did find that whole uh, situation with like the Court Lady Joe having like an underground court lady r- rebellion brewing a bit over the top. <laughs>
1: Uh, honestly, I also thought of same thing. Actually, <laughs> I mean, but like, she had a throne and everything. Yes, no. the, the throne was uh, okay. I was like, oh, that's too much. Uh, how could no one notice that uh, there was a space and she was? How did it? Uh, how did she build that that throne there? I, <laughs> I was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: actually wondering
1: about that i I
0: have absolutely no idea and like what was the ultimate plan really i mean i suppose like you know it it, in itself the idea that court lady joe was very powerful makes perfect sense yes she used to be very close to the previous king which is sana's grandfather Could have become his concubine, but was yeah. rejected. She yeah. kind of like took that resentment really deep into her heart. Um, she's played by Park uh Young, by yes, the way. Yes, um, she's amazing. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and of course, for years later, she has very quietly concocted plans to overthrow the previous king. It's like a lot of things have happened over the years. And you do feel the sense of, you know, years passing between... Mm-hmm. Um, Sana's grandfather's generation to his father's generation to his generation like how the entire court system has slightly evolved but so many resentments have been passed on from generation to generation through these three royals yes all of that does come together really well in court lady Joe's. Storyline, mm-hmm. and I think her ending was also really poignant in that she didn't trust the king's word till the very end. Yes. So I thought I thought that was great, but the whole her leading the <laughs> underground rebellion—oh god, that was just
1: <laughs> that was yeah.
0: <laughs> Hello, listeners. I hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. I bring you a little interruption because we must thank our sponsor Kensington. Who brings you their latest release, A Ghost in Shining Armor by Therese Bihari. In this romantic comedy, a woman with a supernatural talent is haunted by one persistent spirit and a seductive, impossible love. Gemma Daniels has never been quite the down-to-earth woman her adoptive parents raised her to be. She even has a unique gift, she can see ghosts, and she likes helping them settle their unfinished businesses. But, the stranger she impulsively kisses on a bed is not only a phantom, he is determined to help her. And the only way Gemma can explain his presence is to start pretending that they are a real life couple. Levi Walker lived and died to save his sister. Now he's got a second chance at life if he assists Gemma in reuniting with her long lost sibling. And then never sees Gemma again. But as he starts to enjoy her irrepressible personality, he begins to find it very hard to abide by any rules at all. So Gemma is falling for a course with a dilemma, while Levi must decide what loyalty and living is truly all about. They must risk being real with themselves and each other if they are ever to claim true love. Author Therese Bihari is a South African romance writer of several acclaimed novels including And They Lived Happily Ever After and the One Day to Forever series. If you have enjoyed the works of Avi Jimenez, Alicia Rai, Gwenda Bond, or Irene Sterling, then a ghost in shining armour will be right up your alley. You'll find a link to the book in the description.
1: It took quite a lot of uh, screen time, right? From the It episode, lots of uh, the screen time being dedicated to that secret uh, group of uh, court Lady 2, right? But... I'm actually uh, a little bit disappointed that they did not uh, make use of the the group until the end. Uh, because it was as if uh, the group died with uh, Court Lady Joe. Court Lady Jo, yeah. That didn't make much sense. Yes, because uh, she actually passed over the, he, uh, her position in that group uh, to her niece, right? Uh, the Aya. Ah, yeah. yeah. but, but they were instant turned into like this
0: assassin group. It would have made a lot more sense if they still remained like a quiet, covert group, like yes. kind of like the Freemasons <laughs> within the institution of the court ladies, yes. quietly hatching certain plots and like executing them very quietly amongst like small groups. Yes. that would have That would have been more thrilling. Mm-hmm. But it would have also maybe... What it would have done is made us see the whole court lady, like all of the court ladies, with a degree of suspicion. And yeah. I think what the writers wanted to do was make us see majority of the court ladies as kind of like lambs, like they were innocent and they were helpless. Yes. Um, whereas Dokim had her own ideas about what she wanted to do, and they were very firm ideas. Yes. The rest of the court ladies were, you know, sort of happy to go. Not happy, but like had had given in they had accepted that this was their lot in life even the more rebellious of her friends they Mm -hmm. understood and accepted that this was simply how life was going to be for them yeah and that made us see them with a lot of sympathy Mm -hmm. but the moment you introduce characters amongst this group who are ready to rebel and like kill the king to get their freedom You immediately put us into a situation where now you're thinking that, I mean, do I like the king more or do I like the court ladies more, (laughs) you know? I mean, you start seeing the court ladies as a threat. So they couldn't just leave the, you know, the the court lady covert system to still exist after uh, Lady Joe's death because... If that happened, then we wouldn't go back to just sympathizing with the court ladies. Yeah. We would still be looking at, at the group of them as like potentially a, a danger for yeah, the king yes. at some point. Yeah. You know, from a writing perspective, that that's how I see it. But I still find that whole throne thing so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> um, though, though, there is one other character that we have to talk about. Traditionally, he would have been our second lead. He was Hong Dokro or Hong Gukyong, played by Kang Hoon. Uh I don't think I've seen Kang Hoon anything before. At least I don't remember him from anything. And he was surprisingly effective in this role. Yes. I thought he was going to be like that pleasant, sweet, you know, the nice second lead. (laughs) Who yeah. does everything right and nice for the heroine. But she still chooses like the more abrasive male. No, no, no. <laughs> this guy. This guy is like super two-faced. Yes. But what you love about him is like he's smiling at Dokim, Kim for instance. And telling her that your life doesn't matter at all. You're yeah. completely disposable. Yeah. And... Like, she doesn't know how to grapple with that smiling face spouting such poisonous words. And the audience doesn't know how to grapple with it. Like, I'm staring at the screen going, what have you created here?
1: But I love his character because of that. Yeah, Yeah, so do I. I really, because at first uh, I saw his uh, his, uh, character poster, right? This is uh, my first time hearing about his name, actually. Yeah. Actually, I'm a bit concerned because he's uh, really good-looking, right? That uh, pretty boy style, right? But uh, So yeah. I, was, uh, I was actually worried that, okay, is he going to be okay for this role? So, but I really love how he portrayed uh, the role of uh, Hong Do uh, here. And yeah, (laughs) uh, I'm going to follow uh, Kang Hoon's career from now on because yeah, he's got that potential to be like a two-faced guy. So I think he can do more in his uh, future roles. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) now I'm (laughs) fangirling. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm fan curling too. I am
0: totally going to follow this guy oh, in whatever yes. he does. He's got such great range. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, but in this particular drama I what I found fascinating was how you know Kang Hoon's character was not unlike um Lee Se-young's in that at a very young age he was bound to the king yes uh, he had to be his you know, companion he didn't really have a choice and his existence depended on the crown prince liking him Um, Sana liking him so of course the first time when he that lie he told where he took credit for something that he hadn't done Mm -hmm. to win Sana's approval it makes perfect sense because this this young boy from this very poor family has been put next to the crown prince and told to befriend the crown prince but the crown prince doesn't trust him and his survival depends on the crown prince trusting him and keeping him close. Because at some point, the crown prince would be old enough to, you know, shove him away. And then he's going to be useless. So he lies. He takes the credit because that wins him Sana's, you know, approval. Yeah. But that one lie starts him like on a cascading effect of things. Because even though he's getting all of these education, all of this stuff, imagine the child's mind being under so much pressure of constantly controlling you know his environment like watching the crown prince watching other adults and other characters in the palace and always trying to position himself perfectly so that he can survive and he grows up like that how can he not be manipulative how can he not be what he is yes Uh, i was was just
1: he was groomed to be to be one yeah (laughs) in that environment right the palace made him what yes, he was. Yeah. So, you know why when the story
0: basically takes us to a point where um, Sana is, uh, ha- ha- exiles him because he can't bear to, like, you know, kill him. Oh, I like that scene. <laughs> I really love that scene. <laughs> I really love I really love that too. Because he didn't believe like uh, th- till the last moment um Dokro did not believe or uh Kyung, um he did not believe that Sana would actually punish him. Yes. Because their relationship was so long had been one of you know sana trying to be understanding because somehow he did understand the power dynamic and the play it it had on this boy's mind yes and he and he said that he kept giving him chances but i think what he was doing was in a way he was apologizing for the life that this boy had to lead because he was you know chosen as his companion and eventually, when you reach a point like he had done nobody any favors by never punishing this boy, I think he had so much patience for all the things he did wrong. Um, Dokro did wrong was simply because Sana felt guilty, yeah. Like that moment where he's like, I he has to give the order to have him killed, but then his, you know, his, his uh bodyguard, um. I, I forget the actor's name. The one who played uh, his um, Kang, Kang the the character Kang, is Kang Kangteho. Kang Ho Kang was the uh, character uh, played by Odehwan. <laughs> so, um, like, uh, so with Teho, like, uh, was protested against his death, and he said it pretty explicitly. I am protesting against it because I don't think the king can live with himself if yes. he has you killed. And so he has him exiled. But you know, I, what I find interesting is that. This guy who all his life tried to survive within the walls of the palace because he had no choice finally gets exiled but now he's addicted. He wants to get back next to the king. Yes. He he can't just live his life outside. He needs to get back to that position of power. He needs to get back to that position of trust. So he runs around applying to everyone he can to like yeah. please take me back to the palace. This is just it this 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 boy and it was the psychological abuse that he's been through it's it's done really bad things to his mind yeah whereas when you have Dokim exiled
1: from the palace, you can see that she has no urge to go back to the palace yeah she was happy <laughs> was really happy and bright and I think she was back to her old self uh at that yeah, yeah in that one year right <laughs> I I complain exactly so she had like so the two of them
0: I while I find their trajectories very similar both of them were stuck in the palace both of them had to suck up to the crown prince to kind of survive both of them had to like look at the royal family as the one they did all of their duty for also their their respective position in society was decided by the favors they got from the royal family yeah exactly everything was about the royal family about the palace with them (laughs) But the moment they were exiled, whereas you know Dokim was like, "I'm finally free." <laughs> Dokro was basically stuck. He he wanted to just go back. Yeah. He didn't know any other world.
1: He was he was uh, at his uh, he lost his um I lost that word purpose of life. Yeah, actually. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, I agree <laughs> because yeah. He lived his whole, like, not really whole, but most of his life, uh, devoting himself to, uh, to make Sun, uh, a king, right? And then, uh, when, uh, Sun, uh, sat on the throne, he got all the power, uh, privilege to do, uh, lots of things, according to his way. But at one point, um, I think that was, uh, also the, the reason for, for Sun to start suspecting him because sometimes okay maybe many times he went uh over the top like uh overstepping uh, his uh boundaries right he, he was overstepping his boundaries like he kept testing how far he could yes, go because actually, he thought he yeah would think, exactly yeah
0: forgiven anything that um he he did
1: <laughs> but it's um actually uh yeah it's really hit, uh heartbreaking to see how son said that uh dogro was never his his person uh from the his true friend. Uh, yeah yeah he, uh, he was never his person uh even from the beginning and uh I think that was uh the one thing that really broke uh doggo and then he was exiled and then he just uh lost everything his goal his uh purpose in life and all the trust uh San had uh, in uh, in him so he lost everything uh, and the only thing that uh, remained is uh his shell uh he was not mm. really living i think before his death and then he also saw that uh, Im, uh, returning to the palace uh, while he failed to do so uh, and I think that was uh, the final straw which uh, led him to, to his death I think that was uh, what the drama was trying to tell us
0: like he having lost his life's purpose there was nothing else driving him on like in a very real way Having that position next to son was what was keeping him alive. Yes. Because aside from that, he had lost everything. And not just the purpose of the life, he had lost his sister, basically kind of sacrificed her to his ambition. Yes. And I mean, look, from our modern perspective, when we see a f- like 13, 14-year-old girl get being married off, it that is a different that is definitely awful. Yes. But from his perspective, he was ensuring the future happiness of his sister. So, I'm not really talking about that. In that age, that was a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Except he had lived in the palace, yes. he knew how toxic the environment was. He, of all people, probably should have known the pressure his sister was going to go through yeah. being a, a very different natured girl. Like, she was not like her brother. She would not survive so easily, but he miscalculated and then she ended up passing away. I did really like that even through historical language, they tried to explain depression. Yes. Like technically Sana lost two wives to depression. The first was Dokro's sister. Sister. Yeah, the, his earlier concubine, and then, you know, much later, Dokim. Yeah. Because while Dokim had other issues as well, I, you, we could all pretty much, like, at least through the story, you could tell she primarily passed away after taking blow after blow after blow. And coming back a little from all of that, there is a moment in the drama that I really enjoyed. Because again, not something you easily see in other dramas. So... You have several, like practically, probably uh, what between episode twelve and fourteen, somewhere this Mm -hmm. this happens. um, You have Dokim's friend; one of her friends has been kidnapped, and this has been uh, masterminded by Dokro. We, you know what? I this was such a wonderful story overall. However, there was way too many masterminds doing nefarious things Mm -hmm. in this cave with the throne. <laughs> so anyway so Dokim's um, one of her friends has been she's a, a court lady has been kidnapped other court ladies had been kidnapped the I mean they kept hearing that yes the king was doing investigation the crown prince was doing but nobody was really getting back to the like nobody was telling the court lady what investigation is going on nothing nobody seemed to be taking it very seriously mm-hmm. And then eventually, Dokim decided to take it upon herself and like do her own investigation. Yes. And then, just as, as surety, she sent like a, a book of records, the 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 proof that she had found um, to the Dowager Queen yeah. instead of to uh, you know Sana, and that was her way of basically creating a situation where. She would have the Dowager Queen come to save her. But also, she didn't want to depend on Sana. Mm-hmm. Because she had asked Sana about it. And Sana had said, fine, I'm investigating. But she could clearly see that this was not something he was very invested in. Yes. Like, he was not talking to her. Like As much as he loved her, as much as he needed her in his life, he would never really talk to her. Like He would not tell her. Because... He was managing things on his own. And honestly, in his mind, some casualty was fine. He was trying to figure out how to handle Dokro. He knew everything. He yes. knew that the thing was being done by Dokro, where it was being done, where the women were being held. He knew everything. He just hadn't decided how to handle the matter yet. Yes. So he was just letting it happen. And Dokim lost patience because for her, it's not about what the heck you want to do with Dokro. For her, it's about getting her friend back safely.
1: Yes. Uh, at that time... uh. I could understand why, uh, uh, Dokim did that because Sun was too busy calculating about what he, uh, he was going to do with Doku, right? So, and then at that time, maybe the court ladies uh, would end up dying like Kyunghee. Oh, okay. I can't imagine if uh, Kyunghee the, uh, Dokim's, uh, friend did die because that would be something that, uh, Dokim would really be angry uh, at Sun. And maybe the history would be would be uh, changed uh, by that time. Yeah, ab- absolutely.
0: <laughs> because this was before she agreed to be his concubine. Yes. <laughs> it's not just K-dramas. I'm talking about stories for like decades. Whenever mm-hmm. you have this situation where some kidnapping or murder has happened and the hero is investigating, if the heroine gets involved with her own investigation, it's basically shown as the heroine being overly enthusiastic and a troublemaker where the hero had everything sorted the heroine just bumbles in and messes things up Mm -hmm. so you know where you have that situation happening in the you know cave of doom where dokro has basically you know found dokim and he's doing the interrogation like he and dokim so dokim and dokro have some really interesting exchanges you can see their moral points of view how vastly different they are so I love that I love that this is their dynamic and he was not just some random second lead with no purpose yes. whatsoever. But you know you that situation where the, all the court ladies are being uh, kept in the courtyard and like he's about to like I don't know kill her the crows about to kill her or something and then Sana arrives. Mm-hmm. It's One of those situations where you know the bumbling heroine has come in, she got caught, and now she's about to die. No, the drama makes it very clear that that is not the story they are telling. Yes, Dokim had to get involved, she didn't want to, she was waiting for Sana to solve the thing, but she saw that the government wasn't doing anything, the royal palace wasn't really doing anything, and she and she was so scared for her friend, she had to do something. So she got involved. The fact that she got caught is not surprising. This is not exactly something she's been trained in. If she didn't get caught, that would be the most ridiculous thing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So overall, I just found that entire tableau perfect. Because even though Sana rides to the rescue, he rides to her rescue. Because she pushes him to act. If she hadn't put herself in danger, he would never have acted. Yes. He would have just kept waiting.
1: Yeah. And then
0: in, instead of how many, I think he at that point, he had already killed a few court ladies. He would have been the murderer of a dozen more court ladies. Yes. Sana would not have really cared. Like he would have been like, this is so sad. My subjects have died. But it's like a statistical number for him. Yes. He da- isn't actually sad. Mm-hmm. there is so much to talk about in this drama man just oh so yeah that was again you know these these points in their relationship that you practically never see and just in general storytelling especially with a strong romantic pairing like these two are practically meant for each other in every way that we understand you know Mm -hmm. romance yes but also they would Especially Dokim would be so much happier if they never got together. <laughs> she would be alive for one thing.
1: Yeah, she would be alive for for longer. I think maybe uh, racing the like Kyunghee ended up uh, as uh, the head court lady, guy. So maybe maybe she would end up like that too. Yeah, <laughs> so,
0: quite possibly. Like she had the grace and she had the leadership skills to probably end up becoming one of the uh, head court ladies and. She probably would have ended up living till her forties or or more, maybe even older. But the like forties was like the average life (laughs) at that point. Maybe until fifties or (laughs) sixties. My goodness, such a long life. So she could have had that, but instead, but you know, as you pointed out, if she had lost her friend at that point, she would never have agreed to become uh, his concubine. Yes. However, a, a few years later, after she became his concubine he puts one of her friends to death. Yes. Nobody kidnaps the court lady. Nobody like other, there is no external evil. Sana puts her friend to death for having broken a palace rule of like not sleeping with another man. Yes. It was like the kind of rule that he should have been trying to change, but he had no interest in liberating court ladies. He didn't even see that as a problem. Mm-hmm. He, Despite loving Dokim as much as he did, he didn't see her imprisonment within the institution of the palace as a problem. He never saw that as a problem. So our hero was not exactly heroic
1: till the end. (laughs) Yes, because son is born to be a king. So he never, never think about anything else other than growing up to be a king, grooming himself to be a king, and then doing his uh, duties. So his views on... Yeah certain things like looking at things from other people's point of view might might not be that, 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 Developed. that uh, Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the word. Yeah. There's also that
0: point where Dokem asked Sana, Have you ever wondered what it would really be like if you were
1: normal? Yes. If you were just a common man. And he's like, No, I have never wondered. Yes. <laughs> and then he 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 said that uh, you match uh, with your role as a court lady,
0: too. There is another scene where he tells her that you, like, where she, in his dream, she's wearing her court lady garb again. Yeah, yeah. And he, he says something like, you know, you look happier. You look happy now. Uh. Because he does remember her being happier in her, you know, when she used to be a court lady who was not completely free, but definitely freer than a concubine. Yes. So he knew, part of him knew what Dokim was going through. Because, yes. you know, he loved her. He understood that it this was difficult for her. And for a man in his position of that time, he tried to respect her choices, yes. respect her belief system, all of the... He tried to bend the palace rules as much to her convenience as... But it was not enough.
1: It was not enough by a mile. Yes. He went against uh, the rule just for her, not for the rest uh, for the exactly. whole yeah for the whole institution of court ladies right so uh, i think he said it uh, many times before uh, right he he only cared about about his person that uh, that was uh, a dog instead of the other court ladies right Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, there were times when Dokim tried to make him realize that certain things were wrong for all courts. Yes. But he was like, I only care about you. Yes. So, before we start wrapping this up, uh, there is one more character that I have to talk about. That was the older king uh, Sana's uh, grandfather yeah probably slightly paranoid definitely at the end dementia ridden mm-hmm. uh, King Yongjo yeah who was both cruel and charismatic yeah and at times he was so sympathetic and then he was so you know like there is this moment where he just says like Dokim has done something or or and then she's been brought to the palace and then very dismissively because he's like impatient, he's having a bad day, he has a headache, he's like just cut her heels and like send her away. He he doesn't care. Like he's meeting out punishment suddenly and brusquely because his mood is bad. Yes. But then there is also, this is also the same man who when Dokim was a child had given her... His favorite concubines written book because the child had touched something in him (laughs) and he just wanted to be nice to her. Mm -hmm. He was so dynamic. He was (laughs) so dynamic. And I could understand why Sana, his grandson, feared, hated and loved him. He clearly loved him. Like he hated him. He feared him, but he also loved him. And you could see why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I uh, he was definitely standout character for me. I was not expecting to love um, King Yongjo so much, played by Ido uh, Kwa. I'm just mesmerized by by how he created this this king. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't hate him. Part of me was in awe of this guy. <laughs> I could totally see him as a king. N- not even a terrible king. Like just a very very flawed. King, yes exactly who made all the wrong choices i mean it's the drama does such a good job of actually looking into the character beats like how a man with an ambition like i'm talking about king Yongjo here mm-hmm. the grandfather um how he rose through he was a commoner he rose through the ranks to become the king he fought a lot of other, like, by commoner, from what I understood, he was basically the bastard son um, yes, of a previous ruler, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: because uh, his mother was from a very humble class because uh, his yeah. mother was a uh, original court lady too, right? So mm. he has this, uh, he had uh, this, like... Insecurities. Uh, yes, insecurities, and he actually uh, spent time quite... Sometime uh, outside the palace, before he was brought into the palace, uh, and then uh, he was just the the second son to uh, his father, uh, the King Sejong. So there yeah. was uh, his uh, his brother, uh, the Crown Prince. And uh, so he was, no one was batting an eyelid at him. Uh, so yeah. he was like, how could I see? <laughs> <laughs> my word. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So I've watched quite a number of uh shows uh, featuring uh Yeonjo uh in in different phases of uh his life when yeah. he was yeah when he was uh, just a prince and then he went uh to become a crown prince while his brother was the king and then finally becoming the king and there were Lots of things uh, happening to him. And then he also had to order for his son to be left to die. Uh, so yeah. that was very tragic for someone. And then he still lived a very long life, right? So yeah, yeah. he was the uh, the longest uh, reigning king of uh, Joseon. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow.
0: He did. See, he was like eighty years old or something uh, by the time he passed away. Uh,
1: he was born in sixteen ninety something, and then he died in uh seventeen seventy six. So yeah, eighty something uh, yes, yes. Um.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, okay. the, he would have been like a very very long lived mm. king. And he saw so many tragedies in his yes. life. So it's, it's, it's not really surprising that the man ended up that way. But even then... At the very end, you know, there is that very emotional scene between him and Sana in the yes. middle of the court. Yeah. When he can't recognize his grandson, he 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 treats him like how he treated his son. Yes, like he thing.
1: mistook him as a uh, compensado and there was... Aah. And Sana just
0: like cries out, recognize me. I'm, I'm not your son. I'm not your son. I'm Sana. I'm your grandson. Yeah. And there is... It just... Junho does that moment so well. I... I... I went back and watched just that mm-hmm. scene a few times because it gets me choked up every yeah. time I watch it. And then there is that moment of recognition in the king's eyes. Like he recognizes his grandson and the fact that he really loves his grandson. Yes, But this guy is really old and there is just so much trauma and so <laughs> much. Plus he has dementia. Yes. It's, uh, it was just so hard. Yeah, okay, you know what, now that I'm thinking through the storylines again, there mm-hmm. were so many situations, like, of course, Palace machinations go on in every uh, story. Like, I'm sure it went on in real life as well. Mm -hmm. But, like, the number of times Dokim had to run in to save Sana. (laughs) Like, in some (laughs) massive conspiracy. (laughs) I know what you mean. Right? Sana wouldn't have survived, like, toddlerhood if if Dokim hadn't been around to, like, like, save him from, like, the bushes or something. (laughs) This boy, seriously, like... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, so I find that hilarious when I think back. Because the show did it so earnestly and the stakes always seemed very high. Yes. And you never know whom Dokim could trust. Mm-hmm. Because Sana's mom wasn't always a good ally. The uh, the Dowager Queen was also her own. Which by the way, the Dowager Queen played by uh, Jang Hee Jin. She was gorgeous, but she also was like, you didn't know if she was evil or wonderful, sympathetic or cruel. She was extremely clever, but you just didn't know what she was going to do. And it just, she created such a mood. Yes. It was was wonderful. I also found it hilarious that there were people who were basically fighting, like jealous over Dokim. Because Dokim was the kind of person... I think it was the Dowager queen who said this, that you're the kind of person that, that people would like very easily. You have that quality. But that also means that you would probably have a tragic end because everybody would try to acquire you. And that's exactly what happened. Yes,
1: like uh, Lady Jo's, uh niece also said this, right? Having too many people like you uh, will also yeah. become poison uh, to you. Uh, Correct. Was... <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: Uh, okay (sighs) this
0: entire drama i have goosebumps now that we're talking about it i have goosebumps Uh, right now
1: oh uh, i still feel like crying every time i i think of certain scenes until now oh god
0: (laughs) i don't know i thought i I would get over it by now i thought i would have Uh. like started For instance, when I was watching Mr. Queen, I thought that was like such an amazing drama. But I got over it really quickly, actually. In a couple of weeks, I got over it. (laughs) (laughs) But like with the Red Sleeve, I'm still like, I think of certain moments and I just sit there and just think about it for
1: a while. Like I steep back into it. Yeah. Okay, I think I spent like the first two weeks after the ending, right? I think I spent like after work, I would think uh, of the drama and went to bed crying. <laughs> that was so such... <laughs> oh, okay. oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So, I think after that, I didn't really cry uh, for every night. But, okay. But still... I'm still crying from time to time, actually. <laughs> uh, so, I was trying to distract myself with uh, other dramas. But, yeah... This morning also, I was okay. Why I'm suddenly thinking about the drama and then uh, okay, I think I might have to cry a bit again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and I went to to watch the scenes uh in uh, the final episode right uh where uh son was left uh by himself to. Revenues about your uh, his memories with uh Im and I just okay I'm going to cry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah. Yeah. Mm. I I know. Yeah. That's that's the mood man. That's what they have <laughs> left us with. Yeah. I just you know what I love uh about this creative team that the director is a woman. The yes. director is Jung Ji-in. Yes. And if you guys have watched radiant office which i quite enjoyed actually but i thought it was like a relatively small drama i i don't think she has done a drama as big as this before
1: yes uh, i think this was his uh i uh, know uh, her first uh role as a main director because i think uh for yeah if i'm not mistaken about it and uh yeah the the writer also is a woman right
0: Oh, Jang yeah, Yes, Yeah, yeah. Too, Junghae- right? No, <laughs> makes a lot of sense, though. Jang did write uh, The Emperor Owner of the Mask, which I heard oh, was okay. pretty good, though. I haven't watched it. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Either way, spare created a story that, before this, my favorite historical was probably rookie historian, Kuhaeryeong. Okay. And now now that has been superseded by the Wrestling Cup. I just, this is my favorite <laughs> <laughs> historical K-drama. It's probably my, like, it's it's probably in the top three of my favorite K-dramas okay. of, <laughs> of all times. This just, it's done so many things, used so many storylines and it just created these characters that are so hard to forget, these yeah. relationships that are so hard to forget and they're hard to forget because they are so realistic yes. and they are of course based on real events, but also they are realistic So, okay. Any final words, Mimi, before we start rounding
1: up? Final words. (laughs) I think uh, I spend most of the time uh, finding words and then laughing. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay. At least uh, I'm laughing and not crying. So, that's a progress, I think. Uh, When, Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. I don't even know when I can fully declare that I've moved on completely from The Red Sleeve. But I'm still hoping that I will never... (laughs) Because I really love uh, this series a lot. Yeah, maybe some, uh, some people who haven't watched The Red Sleeve, please please watch it <laughs> and fall in love with every character there
0: <laughs> okay yes. i think please, that's all please please watch it if you've been listening to the spoiled yak without actually having watched the drama <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> but if if you are such an individual please please go watch the drama it's yes. 17 episodes and every single episode is is worth the time spent yes. even when they are doing ridiculous things like underground court lady rebellion. yes (laughs) it's
1: all worth it (laughs) keep watching and never stop watching (laughs) please (laughs) yes please keep i totally rewatch worthy it it absolutely
0: is so yes please keep watching so thank you so much for joining us for this episode mimi thank you (laughs) thank you (laughs) where can our listeners find you on
1: social media i think you're on twitter right yes uh, okay my twitter is uh machado about love I will put it in the description. Okay. And then uh, you can also visit uh, my blog, The Talking Cupboard, if you want to read something uh, or about the red sleeve. <laughs> because uh, I actually uh, wrote a lot uh, this time about the red sleeve. And that's something rare. And I think that's a proof of my love. For that show, <laughs> okay, I think I will put a link to
0: Mimi's talking cupboard articles in the description. But please go check out her blog. Even for other dramas, we have been reading her blog for years. At this point, she's a terrific writer. We love how she like just I, you know. One of the things I struggle with is getting my thoughts on a paper coherently. Mimi does not have that problem. She <laughs> she. Like, when you're reading her essays, you understand exactly the thought she's pulling from, the feeling she's feeling. So, really good blog. Please go uh, give it a read. Okay, I'm going to put the links <laughs> in the description. Okay, and now, finally, our ending pattern. You can find Dramas Over Flowers if you, you know, want to come and, like, give us the feedback on this episode or just talk to us in our DMs. You can find us on Twitter at Dramas Over Flow. You can find me personally, Paroma, at Festa Faster on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. You can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just look up Dramas Over Flowers. And our website is dramasoverflowers.net. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts.
1: Thank you guys! Thank you guys! Bye! Bye.